Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Soroyce. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. Hey, Pat. What's up? Oh, nothing much. Just um, sitting here in uh, in good old Austin, Texas, watching the world burn from afar. It's pretty nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, obviously it's been, it's been a crazy week. Uh, I've been trying to do some positive stuff. I made a dog ramp. I built that like, like, a, like a little ramp for my girl's dog to get up to the bed. That I was saw that. Positive. I saw that on our uh, podcast Twitter because of, yeah. uh, you've been banned. <laughs> Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I got I got banned on the same day that they or I got suspended on the same day they banned Trump. Do you so, know what for specifically? Yeah, I told a guy to jump in front of a truck. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was like I had said something like I told some guy like beat it or just like something stupid like and like intentionally corny, and then somebody was like, "Oh, you really showed him what for." And, and I was like, oh, like, well, how f- oh, I'll, I'll show you. And yeah, I was like, how funny it would be yeah, if I just came <laughs> back on him like, you know, like like a million, like, oh, yeah, why don't you jump in front of a truck? <laughs> and they didn't like that. So Yeah, they did not see the humor in that response. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've been like, like really like uh, stopping myself from just tweeting all the dumb shit I think of on the podcast account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've talked myself out of it, but. Yeah, no, it's been a uh, been a wild week, uh, I, and I actually think the events of the week uh, inspired the, what I want to talk about today. Oh, I'm um, so excited! Yeah, I want to get into it. It's pretty dense, but I figure since coups are, you know, coups are in the news, baby. Coups are in the news. Absolutely, coups are in the news. Yeah, longtime rapper. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So I was watching this, and I've always had heard about the story, and I was really interested in it. I wanted to do it, but I, you know, we never got around to it. And then it came up. I want to talk about another uh, failed coup attempt or alleged failed coup attempt um, that happened here in our very own country about 90 years ago. All so, right. Uh, yeah, this was this was pretty interesting. I'd heard about it and I, I, I knew like the general details and I was like, oh, wow, that's a crazy story. And so I started looking into it to do research for the episode. And I didn't know that I say alleged coup because... It's basically it's all based on the testimony of a of a two star general okay. uh, saying about what some people approached him with, and the testimony was laughed off by the committee that he testified in front of. But then the test the, the committee then re released statements saying like, oh no, yeah, this happened. So okay. like, yeah, the the so it, it's it's pretty wild. But I'd always thought about this, and I'm surprised that not a lot of people knew about it. Uh, but. Yeah, I guess we'll go ahead and dive on in. So uh, you sent ready. me you sent me the Wikipedia page for this, and I, I guess it's called the business plot. Is the the business plot? Yeah, the business plot. Which, for, first of all, very funny name, just like very yeah. vague. <laughs> yeah, very, it's a, like, it just sounds like you'd like you'd be like like twiddling a mustache, like ah, oh, the business plot. And uh, the reason I I it, I looked at it and I I vaguely remember it from um like high school American history specifically because it the name gives you no indication of what it was about and so it was Correct. like a very difficult um like flashcard to remember for like American history class of like what is the business plot it's like well I have no context clues based yeah, on yeah. this name <laughs> to figure out what yeah. this is. So <laughs> Yeah, it's not like, like like the battle at Little at Little River. You're like, well that was the battle. It was at a little river. That you was know? probably like, like a war. Yeah. Like yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, the nothing. business plot could be anything. Yeah, it, it it's it, it's pretty wild. And in this one, uh I guess where in this last coup attempt it was um uh people who were the opposite of billionaires. This one it was actually pulled off by uh kind of the upper crust, the high society, the the business owners of America. So, All right. Well, uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what they name this one in history, what it will be <laughs> yeah. called. Because, like, I think people are still sort of having trouble. Like, yeah, is the it, small business plot. Do, yeah, <laughs> the small business plot. That's exactly what it is. Because you were saying, like, oh, well, this one, like, you know, it's it's the business owners. It's like, I think the most recent one was also a lot of business owners. Yeah, yeah. Just- a lot. I bet, I bet there was a lot of guys that was like, yeah, I, I have a pool lining company. There's a lot of, like, dudes. Yeah, a lot of, like, boat siding. I, like, yeah. I'm looking through, like, somebody has a boat siding company. I feel like there are probably a lot of people there who were just like, if you don't let me open my nail salon, I am going to detonate the suicide vest. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. Losing my mind. Yeah, yeah. Right. 
But, yeah, no, uh, yeah, I, I, I bet that's what it was. Uh, definitely looked like on, on the news, like that one, that one redheaded chap carrying away the lectern. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, I he, mean, yeah. There's been a lot of people arguing over the class character of of uh, recent events, and I think it's probably difficult to generalize. But I do think the types of people we're talking about were were represented. We'll say that. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah for sure, for sure. So this one, yeah, this happened a while ago. So we're gonna go back in time, go back in the the way way back machine here. So it's November 11th. 1934, Washington, D.C. The Special Committee on Un-American Activities is meeting to hear the testimony of retired Marine Corps General Smedley Darlington Butler. (laughs) Smedley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking dweeb. Smedley Darlington. Come on, man. The little Darlington. And you said, no, he's the general. He's not one of the billionaires, right? No, yeah, he's a general. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's our our, um, protagonist. Okay, uh, okay. He's our hero. Yes, I would definitely put that, like, I, I wouldn't say if it qualifies for a good guy episode, because I, I don't think he's lying, but there, there are people that say he made this up, but we'll get into it. It's like, why would this dude make this mm-hmm. up? So, mm-hmm. well, again, so the, the Committee on Un-American Activities had existed in one form or another since 1919 and was created to oversee national security threats posed by communist and fascist, fascist movements within the U.S., and today they're preparing to hear testimony from a two-star Marine Corps general. Now, before giving this two-hour statement, Butler began by telling the committee that his interest had always been to maintain democracy within the United States. He then proceeded to give an account of a vast, well-funded conspiracy concocted by the biggest names in America's ruling class that had attempted to recruit him to lead a militarized coalition of World War I veterans to stage a coup against then-President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. See, this is so hard to envision now because, like, all of the people in the ruling class don't need to have a coup to be in charge of everything. Like, it's so weird to think, like, oh, no, we need to do clandestine uh, operations to take control of the government. It's like, dude, you could just give them money. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Just the the lobbying industry just made these guys look like a bunch of fucking tryhards. Exactly. (laughs) I guess this is pre-lobbying, like, at least lobbying as we know it now. So it's like, no, they they found a pretty easy way to legitimize this without... Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, that's... Yeah, you can always take, like, uh, forms of aggression and just, like, legitimize them and get the same result without the the violence. Yeah, throw some bureaucracy in there instead and you'll be all set. Yeah, add a dash of bureaucracy. Uh, So... (laughs) Yeah, but you talk about how it's hard to envision today. So I, I wanted to paint a picture of kind of where America was in 1934 and how Please exactly do. it got there. Yes. So after World War One, the American economy was booming. Veterans returning from Europe easily found work. Household income shot up. So did spending. And of course, of course, increases in purchasing drives increases in manufacturing, creating more jobs. Now, that was in America. Post-war Europe, on the other hand, not doing so hot. Uh, in an effort to stimulate growth and pay off war debts, many European nations abandoned the gold standard and began flooding their economies with paper currency. I think most people know what the gold standard is, but if you don't, it's the idea that every dollar you, sh- you spend should be backed by uh, like an equal unit of gold. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's uh, supposedly keeps you know currency more valuable. Um, I... I barely graduated high school so i can't explain that to you how that works the main the the example that everybody always brings up and like still brings up there there are so many sort of anti-poor arguments in politics that basically amount to people being afraid of inflation and like oh like again like people are making this argument with the stimulus checks and stuff they're like oh you can't give everybody money it's going to cause inflation the the big example that they always go back to is post world war one germany where the german mark became like literally not worth the paper it was printed on like you couldn't you would have to like bring a wheelbarrow of marks to the store to like buy anything like and, and part of it is yeah because of their economies were decimated by the war they got off the gold standard all that all that stuff yeah, yeah, and, and that that I saw. So I was reading. They say that that actually is kind of what triggered the global financial crisis that came in the, ni- the 1920s. Mm-hmm. At the end of the 1920s, because um, basically, you know, uh, while you know companies are with, with exchangers, companies, countries that are both in the gold standard have uh, special exchange rates between each other, mm-hmm. and when that starts to fl- there's other countries that aren't doing it it starts to mess up the price of import and export goods which is mm-hmm. and it completely just kind of upturns the global economy mm-hmm. and that's what happened but before that happened when things were going great at the height of the roaring 20s um, America had decided that they were going to 
you know, people make a lot of promises when things are going good that they can't sure. keep when <laughs> things get bad. So they had told World True War One. True on veterans, a political level and an individual level, I would say. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, so like, yeah. If I like, like, if like my check just hit, I, I am down for anything. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, basically, they told World War One veterans that they could actually get compensated for wages they lost during being a World War while away at war. Mm. And you know, that's you look at like two or three years of wages. That's like a pretty substantial amount Absolutely, of money. Yeah. Yeah. So the promise, like you know, within, but the thing was, it wasn't gonna get the checks weren't gonna get cut until the veterans' birthday in 1945. Yeah, you know, in the 1920s, they're like, yeah, everything's going to be fine in 1945. Sure, <laughs> you know? yeah. What could yeah. go wrong between now yeah. and then? So the promise of cash on the horizon during already prosperous times prompted a very fast and loose approach to lending to veterans and their families. Fast forward to 1929, stock market crash, there's a run on the banks, unemployment hits 25%, uh, banks call on their loans, U.S. government walks back a lot of their promises, yeah. and now veterans who are on the uh, you know the brink of bankruptcy are petitioning the government to release their funds early. Uh, and the government not only says no, but they're starting to drop hints. They might have to scrap that whole thing altogether. Like, hey, we may not ever be able to do that for you. Yeah. So this prompted an army of 20,000 uh, veterans led by the American Legion to march on the Capitol. They set up tents, camped out for weeks, demanding their bonuses. The press called them the bonus army. Mm-hmm. Um, I now, remember after- this now. This sounds familiar. Yeah. So. At one point, a bill came to the floor, uh, basically, that was going to guarantee payment of the bonuses in 1945. It didn't get signed. So the mood gets sour in the camps. And you start to see D.C. looking a lot like it did last week. So people are getting a little restless. They're like, yo, we have these 20,000, like, World War One veterans camped out on the Capitol lawn. You know, like, right, so they demanding were like, cash. Yeah, to me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, with their little fingerless hobo gloves and their soup can hats, you know, just <laughs> whatever it is they did. So President Herbert Hoover, who had been accused of not doing enough to help the veterans because, of course, you know, Hoover's Republican, limited government. He was like, you know, the kind of guy like, well, it might be bad if we give everybody money. So, right. they, he, yeah, he decided that they, they need to call in somebody the guys could trust. They decided to call in General Smedley Darlington Butler. Uh, now, General Butler... For all intents and purposes, true American hero. Uh, he lied about his age so he could join the Marines at 16 during the Spanish-American War. God, um, did anyone from history join the military without lying about their age? I feel yeah, like yeah, that yeah, is yeah, every part one of, of them, yeah. everyone's story is that they pretended they were older than they were to go into the military. Yeah, like, they lied about their you, age or their gender. Like, yeah. If you were born before, like, 1950, you did not tell the Army the truth. Like, it's yeah, so yeah, weird. Yeah. I don't know why that is, but, yeah, everyone in history... Very true. I, mean, I was listening to a history podcast today, and I started noticing that every now and then they'll call, they'll uh, say that a king was also a poet. <laughs> and like, I just think that's the dumbest like detail that gets brought up. Like, poet king, you know, Zhang Jing the first. Yeah, he probably wrote poems, and everyone yeah. probably said they were good because he was also the king. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you mean like, uh, oh, the, a rich guy's son has some goofy fucking hobby that right. you have to pretend to like, <laughs> or he'll kill you. Yeah, good stuff. So, but yeah, General Butler. American hero, joined the Spanish-American War. Um, he's such a mild-mannered guy. This is a funny detail. He had a giant tattoo of the Marine Corps insignia that started at his throat and took up his entire chest and stomach. Like, Jeez. Yeah, just uh, super hardcore. Um, but later in his career, he had actually gotten into activism. He was really big about veterans' rights, veterans' compensation, and he made numerous speeches. He has a great quote uh, that I should probably have, but where he basically says when he was a general, he was the strong arm for the corporate branch of America. He was like, that's what I was doing. I was enforcing corporate interests, you know, in, in, in Central American countries and where, where, where what have you. Mm. So, uh, yeah, Part he, of a longstanding American tradition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he, he had been talking out against that. He, he was pro-labor. He was anti-big business. Oh, okay. And, so he's not representing corporate interests. He's representing labor interests. Of course, yes. But he said that when he was in the military, he said my military career, like, primarily was enforcing corporate interests. Like, Got it. You know, okay. Yeah. So... They sent him into the camps, and, you know, just because he was also loved by soldiers. So they sent him into the camps, and he spent the entire evening there just listening to the veterans, hearing their complaints. He found out about like, their food shortages, their individual financial hardships, why they were marching. Uh, he sat down, listened, and spoke to everybody all night. At the end, he gave a speech, and he basically was like, look, guys, you know, the, uh, the whole country's behind you right now. If you resort to lawlessness, you're going to lose their support. 
Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, it's just you know, the fact of the matter. Uh, and they agreed and they didn't, um, they didn't riot. Uh, however, Herbert Hoover beat them to the punch on resorting to lawlessness and illegally leveled their camps and set fire to their belongings. So, sure. I mean, yeah. This, <laughs> yeah, I could think of probably half a dozen instances in the last decade of this exact thing going on. Like, yeah, exa- exa- exactly. BLM, exactly. Occupy yeah, Wall yeah, Street, yeah. like constantly yeah. pleading with people not to resort to violence as the state resorts to violence resorts to simultaneously violence. Yeah, te- tear gassing them out of the way of, of churches to take a photo op you know right. just fun stuff <laughs> uh so now at this point fdr would uh defeated hubert or herbert hoover in a landslide uh victory as we all know he set about you know trying to fix you know the country and he instituted uh the new deal he started trying you know put, put a turkey in every pot or whatever the hell you know a bike in every car i don't know but uh so he did that, you know, he was doing the, these sweeping re- reforms. And one of the things he did was abandon the gold standard. And he abandoned the gold standard, flooded the U.S. with currency. And, it, you know, look back at history, it actually worked. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So he, um, but his uh, sweeping reforms were not popular at all with uh, the wealthy and the, you know, the upper class. Sure. They were saying things like, my fortune is going to be worthless. You know, uh, I, I, one of the characters or figures in this little later say like, I've earned $30 million in my life and I'll spend 15 million to keep the other 15. Like they Mm. really thought like they were staring down the barrel of like, you know, the, the death throes of capitalism. And uh, just because, you know, some people are going to get some money. So, right. um, How how, my money won't be worth as much unless a bunch of people have none of it. I, that's kind of why I'm into it, you know. Like, that's <laughs> kind of the reason I went and got a bunch of it is because I know not everybody has it, and uh, so yeah. So all this uh, accumulates, right? And, and business interests are not happy with how FDR is running the country, mm-hmm. and so this all came to a head uh, in a series of events that we are going to talk about now. That is essentially Butler's testimony against the House on uh, American Activities Committee, and Butler came in that day, sat down. Um, and just started to tell a, a very wild story. So he said on July 1st, 1933, Butler said that he received a phone call at his home in Philadelphia. Also, he was such a Boy Scout. He like got out of the military and became the police captain of Philadelphia. And on his first day, there, he like raided like 900 speakeasies. <laughs> like, he's just, like he did, he, he raided so many speakeasies and like, and followed the money and shit that like he was catching heat from like the political establishment. It was right. like, Hey buddy. Like, it's like, yeah. all right. Yeah. Bust the speakeasies, but like, we still need a place to drink. Like, yeah, exa- yeah, 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 yeah. He was, he was ruffling feathers. So <laughs> he's, yeah, so he's he, McNulty on the wire. That's exactly. I was thinking about why well, I was thinking about Clay Davis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's Clay Davis is coming to him, you know, calling him partner, telling him to settle down. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So he's not, he's not McNulty. Who is he? I think he might be like Freeman. Hmm. Oh, okay. I think he might be like Freeman because like He's McNulty's like got that ed- that got that edge to him and then, oh That's also true. about McNulty would yeah. never bust a speakeasy. First yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, also, that's cool about Smedley Butler to, to give like his you know credence to who he is. He's one of like seventeen people to win the Medal of Honor twice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's a very decorated. Two- Held yeah. in extremely high esteem by everyone, it sounds like. By everyone. And, and you would you would you like to think that, that extends to his word, you know, and, and yeah. uh so Smedley says he receives a phone call at his house in Philadelphia. It was from the American Legion informing him that two representatives from the Legion were en route to see him and asked for just a few hours of his time. Smedley had worked closely with the Legion for years, not necessarily with them in their upper echelon, because he actually had problems with them, but he he worked with veterans organizations constantly, mm-hmm. so this wasn't new to him. So, short time later, Limousine pulls up and outstepped two men. Bill Doyle, the American Legion commander of Massachusetts, and Jerry Maguire, the Legion commander of Connecticut. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it, Jerry Maguire's name just keeps coming up, so let's get all our laughs, laughs out now, folks. So... The three History is rife with Jerry Maguire's. Every, yeah. <laughs> every generation has one. Yeah I, yeah, I can't throw a I can't throw a suspected coup without hitting a Jerry Maguire. <laughs> so the three talk for a little bit, and eventually the you know, butler kind of brings him in the house. They start serving refreshments, and Maguire tells Butler that the Legion, uh, the American Legion, is unhappy with FDR's leadership. He expresses concern that abandoning the gold standard is going to re- render the American currency worthless in less than a decade. McGuire reminds Butler that if the U.S. currency tanks, all those veterans, depending on their bonus in 1945, are going to be paid in money that's largely useless, dog. You know, like, think about the veterans you love so much. Right. So he asked for Butler's help in getting America back in the gold standard. All he said he had to do 
was to come to Chicago for a Legion conference and make a speech calling on FDR to do just that. So Butler, like I said, he was big in activism at this point, and he was he did not he didn't like the upper echelon of, of the American Legion, let alone tinkering you know and, and abandoning the gold standard because he believed in it. He actually uh, went out on the campaign trail for FDR and really? uh, spoke out okay. against against Herbert Hoover. Mm-hmm. So McGuire, um, you know, plus he, he said, uh, all you got to do is you got to come to this uh, convention in Chicago to a Legion conference and make a speech calling on FDR to, to do that. So. Butler didn't want, you know, A, didn't want to do that. And also he said, hey, man, I wasn't even invited to the Chicago convention. And McGuire replied that actually I know I was aware of that. And he said, you were invited, but FDR specifically removed your name from the list. Oh, mean girl shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this was confusing to Butler since, like I said, he had endorsed FDR's campaign. Right. He's so, doing, I heard FDR was talking shit about you. Like that's what yeah. he's doing right now. He is yeah, yeah, trying yeah, to drive a wedge with Teenage girl yeah. tactics. Yeah, this, this is Regina George, just yes. Mary McGuire. So, uh, yeah, so the, uh, Butler's confused by it. Uh, but then McGuire said, hey, you know, don't worry about it, though. I can get you into the convention. All I got to do is right here and now make you the American Legion delegate from Hawaii. They had an open spot, and I can make you the Hawaiian delegate and get you in there. No questions asked. So then he said that he could arrange, and then Smedley was like, yeah, but I'm not going to show up just walking in demanding to make a speech about the gold standard, you know, and like, so Smedley said, hey, don't worry about that. I could arrange to have plants in the crowd, veterans who are sympathetic to you. And as soon as they see you're there, they'll start cheering your name and ask you to come up and take a speech. Nothing wrong with doing that. It doesn't look like you're up to anything. And so Butler said, yeah, well, all the veterans I know can't afford a trip to Chicago. And then McGuire said he can handle that too. And he pulled out a donation slip from a, uh, a bank book that had a donation slip in it that showed somewhere between forty to sixty thousand dollars, eight hundred grand to one point two million in today's money. Wow! So again, could, I feel like most of this stuff would just be like legal now. Like this yeah, yeah, would all it's, just it's, be like fine. Yeah, there's there's not a lot of Smedley Butlers out there, man. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, this it, but this confirmed Butler's suspicion that McGuire was op- was operating on behalf of wealthy business interests yeah, and against the conditions. Go ahead. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, just against the conditions of the average veteran. So he thanked the pair for their time, but he declined to give an answer. Then he knew that they had an ulterior motive. He wasn't sure what it was, but he decided that he was going to play along for a bit to draw information out of the pair. So McGuire comes back to Butler's house in August of 1933, and this time he came alone. And then Butler got right down to business, and he said he demanded to know who McGuire was working for. That's when McGuire admitted that he had nine backers to his plan, one of which was his employer, Grayson M.P. Murphy. Murphy was a New York banker who allegedly started the American Legion in 1919 with a $125,000 grant. So Butler was none too shocked to learn what he already knew. Big business interests are attempting to hijack the cause of the American veteran to fight against FDR. But sure. McGuire, it, I yeah. mean, this is a, a classic like this is such a good tactic because it's like people are not people will not be sympathetic to us if we're just like, well, the billionaires don't like it. Everyone will be like, great. It's probably a good idea then. Yeah, but if yeah, it's veterans, yeah. you're not going to disrespect the troops, are you? Don't you can't disrespect yeah. the troops. Yeah, that's fucked up. You don't support the troops, man. I don't exactly. even know what to say right now. <laughs> yeah, like, I thought I was in Smedley Butler's house, dude. So, but McGuire insisted that his intentions were honest. He said he only wanted to help the veterans. He kept like, falling back on this thing, like, look, when those veterans get their bonus checks, do you want mm-hmm. them getting paid in worthless currency? So, Butler didn't like the idea of being a cog in somebody else's machine. It wasn't his style. He, but he did want to find out more about McGuire's plot. So he declined to say to give an answer, and he said he talked to him later the two part ways. Next time they meet, seemingly by accident, was at a Legion conference in New Jersey. Uh, Smedley still regularly spoke to veterans there, and he was there in that capacity, and he ran into McGuire at the hotel bar. The two exchanged pleasantries, but later in the evening, McGuire just shows up at Butler's hotel room. And knocking on the door, he once again, he asked Butler to be a part of his plan. He reminded him again of how much it would help it would be for the veterans. Butler decided to test McGuire and called his bluff. And he said he insisted that Butler, he said, man, you don't even have this money. And McGuire replied by calmly laying out 18 $1,000 bills. So Smedley saw this and was like, oh shit, you know, this, this guy's for real, or at least he has the money. But Butler said he was worried about if he took the money as proof, like to take it and say, look at this, because he said they tracked the serial numbers, he'd have no way of being like, I didn't take this as a bribe, I took it to show y'all, you right. know? Yeah. So, which, which, I mean, makes sense, you know what I'm saying? It's like, no, no I, I took the 18 grand to prove what a bad guy he was, right. <laughs> which I will, which I will be doing via Zoom call in Cabo. You know, like, it's like, 
Right. I mean, I guess you could turn it in. Like you could take it and immediately surrender it, right? Yeah, yeah there, there is that. I, I mean, but, you know, Smedley uh, played it safe, though. So McGuire then felt compelled to up the ante, and he said he revealed the identity of another one of his backers. He said it was a guy named Robert Sterling Clark. Now, Clark was the second lieutenant in the 9th Infantry. Uh, Butler had never met him, but he knew his nickname. They called him the Millionaire Lieutenant because they were bad at nicknames back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're creative, too, but, yeah, they're too but busy, I get like, the not, gist. <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to not catch polio. They don't have time for all that fun shit. Yeah. So... Um, Robert Sterling Clark, uh, the millionaire lieutenant, was actually heir to the Singer's sewing machine fortune. So it's probably one of those like rich kids hopped in the military just to like, you know, do something for his, you know, carve out a path for himself, but definitely had money. Sure. So th- he tells him that he says, you know, Butler, you should actually talk to, uh, you know, to Clark. So Butler figures if he's going to investigate further, he needs to have a sit down with Clark. So they meet the next week and they, they, they sit down, they decide to have lunch and uh, Butler at, or Clark asked Butler, he's like, Hey, did you read that speech that we wanted you to give? Cause the speech was just like, you know, talking about the gold, how good the gold standard was. Right. And Butler, Butler said, uh, yeah, he said it was quote gripping. And Clark replied, well, it should be because it costs us a bunch of money. So it further confirmed Butler's suspicions, you know, like, like there's big money operating here. Yeah. They're not being particularly secretive about it. <laughs> they're, they're not, they're not. And you'll see, they totally misread this guy. Well, I guess we'll get into to what they thought they were going to bank against. So Clark then mentioned Butler's house. He talked about how the, the mortgage must be expensive. Butler was like, okay, you're bribing me in my own house. And this is, again, this is Smedley Butler, two-time Medal of Honor winner, yeah. um, hater of speakeasies, despises bribes. So he uh, he walks Clark into his study that's adorned with all manner of military awards and his uh, accommodations for helping the poor and gives him like a dressing down in front of all this shit that's in his office. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Look at all, so, of the, all of this documentation that I'm a good person. How yeah, you? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? Like when you, yeah, you have dirty sewing machine money. That's all you have. <laughs> so he told Clark all his reasons, and uh, he spoke to Clark about his convictions for it. And Clark actually appeared to have a change of heart right then and there. He actually asked if he could use Butler's phone, and he called McGuire right in front of Butler and told him that Butler would not be attending the Chicago convention. convention. He said that he had given him his reasons, and he said they were excellent ones. And I apologize to him for my connection to this. I'm Damn. not coming. I'm not coming either. You can put this thing across yourself. You've got forty five thousand. You've got enough money to go through with it. Which what a weird phone call to make out loud in front of another guy. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah, so, so Butler didn't attend the Chicago convention that year, but the Legion did pass a resolution saying it was like their stated goal to return to the gold standard. Mm-hmm. So, uh. So yeah, so after and later on, McGuire pays another visit to Butler's house to inform him of the quote win. Butler told McGuire, like, hey, I don't see this as a win. He said the convention did nothing to secure veteran bonuses. And, uh, you know, like, also, like, like, I agree with not being off the gold standard right now. Right. So like, McGu- that's what's so weird is they're all acting like this guy naturally agrees with them about the gold standard. And he's like, I, but I don't. Yeah, like, yeah, why? I, why are you acting like, oh, we got to win? I don't agree with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, dude, I am not on your side. I'm yeah. not your friend. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, so they, they, yeah, so he starts talking, like, he tells them, you know, that um, that's what, you know, he doesn't see it as a win. They, so they go their separate ways again. Now, at this point, McGuire should get charged for stalking because he keeps bumping into this guy. <laughs> so, again, they, they saw each other by chance uh, again at another VFW. At a, it's time at a VFW thing because now Butler was working with the VFW because he was over the American Legion. So Right. Mission accomplished at the American Legion moving on yeah, to the VFW. Of course, yeah. So he said – so they get to talking. He goes, hey, man, you know what? I, I want to help you out for – you know, for, for being such a, a, a good sport, let me bug you all the time. I want to give you $1,000 to speak at another uh, a Legion and VFW joint thing that's going on. I want to give you $1,000 to speak, and then I want you to mention the gold standard. And But basically, he told them that, you know, he wanted to create one big super organization to maintain democracy. And so, so Butler was like, like, hey, for being such a good sport, let me get you to do the thing that you said you would. Yeah, do. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, for sure. What are these people for, doing? So yeah, I don't, I don't know. This is just a, like to not take a no for an answer. So, so he, so he tells him again. He tells him, I, I'm not. No, it was like, he was pretty stern this time. So, but McGuire said, okay. Well, I'm going on a tour of Europe, so I'm taking off to go see Europe right now. I'll get back to you. So, he sent Butler postcards. All throughout his trip, Butler's just getting postcards from this guy who's essentially a stranger to him, yeah. and. 
And he was like, and so when he gets back, he asks me if he wants to meet again. And he says, this time, just casual. I just want to tell you about my trip. He goes, all right, sure. So they get lunch. And McGuire told him of his trip to places like Italy and Germany. And, you know, Italy and Germany in the 1930s, you know. <laughs> and, uh, right. I'm sure he's yeah. talking all about how terrible they were because they were off the gold standard. Yeah well, yeah. well, what he was talking about was, and he shared all the fascinating ways that World War I veterans were becoming involved in European politics. Oh, fun. <laughs> those fun new political movements involving those yeah. World War I veterans. Yeah. We yeah, all know yeah. how <laughs> successful those were. <laughs> yeah, this McGuire's on to something, man. He really sees, you know, he does want to strike when the iron's hot. So he mentioned how Mussolini, great guy, you got to meet him, had been yeah. named dictator in Italy because of his support for veterans. And he said he wanted to mimic that power in the U.S. He told Butler that he intended to make a, a, a powerful coalition between the VFW and the American Legion. And he wanted to put Butler at the head of it. And he said this would be a coalition to, quote, support President Roosevelt. <laughs> like, hey, Roosevelt, man, hey, like, I got 60,000 troops out here. We're just, you know, we're just here for you, buddy. We're Whatever just supporting you, yeah. We're just supporting you. We're going to follow you everywhere you go. Yeah, so, just like but, how Mussolini did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like how, how the SS supported German citizens, you know? Right, right. Uh, so Butler was shocked because this time last year, McGuire had been against Roosevelt. What had changed? So according to McGuire, the president was now actually willing to cooperate. He said there'd been a change of heart with the president. So Butler weighed this against the Mussolini idolization and flat out asked him, he goes, are you forming this group to intimidate the president? And McGuire was like, what? No, of man. course not. Yeah. Dude, Smedley, you're a wild man, bro. Everybody told me about it. Uh, so he said, and he goes, did it ever occur to you that the president is overworked? That's what McGuire said. And you know, Butler was like, what? He goes, yeah, you know, we have newspapers. This is a quote. This is what Butler said he said. He goes, we have newspapers. We could start the rumor that his health is failing, and anyone that could tell that by looking at him, and any dumb American will fall for it every time. <laughs> now, about the super organization, would you be interested in heading it? And McGuire also reportedly said that, this is a quote, well, an alleged quote, a bit of fascism is necessary and proper in the United States. So yeah, I can, ima quote. I can imagine that uh, a two-star general chief of police believes that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, well, you know, I do get that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, and basically, he um, what he what he flat out told him, he said that they had worked out a deal with FDR, where FDR would accept a payout of sixty million dollars. That's three billion in today's money, and he would step aside and become a puppet president while the while the country was controlled by the financial backers of McGuire's plan. Uh, who we'll get into in just a moment. But mm -hmm. Butler felt that he'd heard enough. He was like, look, man, I'm not interested in this. Next day, he calls up uh, a reporter at the Philadelphia Record, a guy named Paul French, and they go public with the story. So This is so insane to me because it's like, if you have that as your pitch, like, I feel like you got to do a lot more testing the waters before you make the pitch. Because it's like, what you're pitching is treason. So yeah, like, yeah. I, I think that's not like a cold read. That's not yeah, like, yeah. A, <laughs> like you have to be yeah. pretty sure the person you're going to talk about it with says yes. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I think what it was was I think that they were going to that they were going to that they thought they were going to catch him on the 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 veterans benefits. Yeah, being like, they clearly thought that like the yeah. troops thing was going to push him over the edge for it but yeah yeah because because he, he actually was he wasn't just involved in like troop charities like he worked like helping the poor and just like again he was pro-labor like you know so he like he supported troops but he also like under or felt that what was happening like with the gold standard was good for the country and i think history proves that it, it got us out of our slump you know so right. uh, or maybe it doesn't i don't know yell at me on twitter if it does but uh so so the so he goes to french and French ends up publishing this article, and the, the title said, $3 million bid for fascist army laid bare. And it put everything on the table. Everything that we just said was in that, was in that uh, you know, article. So the headline made waves, and Butler was eventually called to testify before the House um, Un-American Activities Committee, where he told them everything. What happened so, to McGuire after the newspaper article came out? Nothing? Well, no, well you know, no McGuire was, was contacted about it, and he actually testified. Yeah, he, he was called okay, in McGuire front of the McGuire testified. Well, well, Butler testified, French testified, and they called um, McGuire in to testify as well. Was but was McGuire like named in the article? Like that's what I'm wondering. Is like I don't know if he was named in the article, but he was certainly named in the testimony. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know in the article, but I don't see why they wouldn't. I don't know. They seem messy back then. Yeah. So, yeah. So that so that day was just French. Um, 
Smedley and McGuire who testified. And French said that he actually went and met with McGuire. So yeah, he did. He wanted to go get a quote from him or talk to him about like you know the article because he was like, hey, I'm doing an article about you. You know, here, do you have anything to say about on it? your yeah. army? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he can't right. And so the only other person, yeah. So uh, he said that McGuire told him, and this is a quote: "We need a fascist government in this country to save us from the communists who want to tear it down and ruin everything we've worked for. Sure. The only men who have the patriotism to do it are the soldiers. And General Smedley Butler is the ideal leader. He can." organize one million men overnight so i think that's why they it was seeing him talk down those troops in washington dc that's what caught their attention and then they saw that like he was he was probably one of maybe like two three guys in the whole country who could do it and they probably thought he was the one that actually had the passion about veterans uh to do it i I, i'm assuming yeah no he's the he's clearly like the troop whisperer and they need military backing in order to pull this off so they're trying to broker a deal with him to basically get him to rally these people to their cause exactly 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 and so mcguire was called to testify he denied everything he said that he had met with butler on several occasions but said that everything butler said was completely untrue he was like yeah i offered him some speaking gigs and there was compensation but there's always compensation for speaking gigs as we found out as we found out in the purdue thing speaking gigs compensation is just it's it's a it's a a pretty bribe that's all it's it's a racket yeah so one thing that is interesting, though, is that McGuire's timeline matched Butler's testimony perfectly. He said they did meet every time that they, you know, yeah, I was in New York that night. I was there. I was there. So it's like, it's like, yeah, you know, I would have met with the guy. We, we, we just talked about the races. Like, I don't know, like, what the fuck, like, what else would you, yeah, you know, it's, that's kind of weird to me. But so McGuire denied the allegations under oath. And at first, when the, uh, when the committee released its findings to the public, they said, First of all, they said it, they they said they didn't believe it. They didn't believe uh, Smedley Butler's testimony. They said it was false. Um, he got harangued in the press, which sucks because he was like a good guy. Like he was like a two star, a two time Medal of Honor uh, recipient. Right. And yeah, the, um, J P Morgan of J P Morgan Chase called it a perfect moonshine. New York Times called it a gigantic hoax. General Douglas MacArthur, alleged to be the backup leader, if Butler declined, referred to it as the best laugh story of the year, which all sound like things of people lying. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's just how they talked back then or what, but yeah, they all sound yeah. like people lying. <laughs> So, yeah, so these, these things go out and the county, the, the committee releases their findings. And this is what's funny, though. So when uh, when they released the findings, they never the, these certain names of who McGuire's um, backers were never got brought up in the testimony. Like you can look mm-hmm. at the transcripts. They were not they were never brought up. But when they released their preliminary report, they said. The committee has no evidence before it that would in the slightest degree warrant calling before it such men as John W. Davis, General <laughs> Hugh Johnson, General Harbord, Thomas Lamont, Admiral Sims, or Hanford McNiter. So, you know, yeah, those guys have nothing to do with it. Those guys yeah, that haven't yeah, been mentioned yeah. up until right now. Yeah. My statement that they have nothing to do with it is raising questions yeah. already answered by my statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> classic, uh, classic move. That And it's yeah. also a classic move to be like, oh, they're naming powerful people. Let's not expand the scope of our investigation too far then. Let's uh, not of course, yeah. disrupt how things are currently going. By yeah, I just got back to season season five of the wire on my rewatch and like this is all what's happening you know follow the money you know so they they said that the the committee said they will not take cognizance of names brought in the testimony which constitute mere hearsay even though they weren't brought in the committee is not concerned with premature newspaper accounts especially when given and published prior to the taking of testimony so as a result of information which has been in possession of this committee for some time it was decided to hear the story of major general smedley butler uh but the committee had, you know, has no evidence that uh, anything should come of it, essentially. When they came out that they said that Butler's testimony was false, he got harangued in the press, dragged, uh, you know, like uh, they, the New York Times called it a gigantic hoax. Uh, General MacArthur, who was said to be the guy, the second option, if he, if Smedley didn't take it, said it was the best laugh story of the year. Uh, I think J.P. Morgan called it like a real gas or some shit like that. And it basically got, he got like just trashed in the press and said that he was just making up lies for attention and it's things like cook. that. Yeah. Yeah. This, this crazy guy saying that bankers are, you know, only have their own interests at heart. That's wild. <laughs> but so 
However, now the, the committee, um, like I said, I, the committee itself actually ended up winding down. But in the last few weeks of its official life in, in 1935, it re-released a report that said, and this is from what it said, the Congressional Committee final report said, in the last few weeks of the committee's official life, it received evidence showing that certain persons had made an attempt to establish a fascist organization in this country. There is no question that these attempts were discussed, were planned, and might have been placed in execution when and if the financial backers deemed it expedient. Which just to me sounds like yeah, it was, we like they like it was ready to rock. Like, it I don't was really real. see what, like yeah, yeah, it, it was completely it real. It sounds like they made sure to um, release a statement sort of assuaging everyone's fears, hanging this guy out to dry, making it seem stupid. And then when, you know, people were no longer interested in the story and it probably wasn't going to negatively affect the people who were attempting to perpetrate this, they were like, Oh, by the way, yeah, this was all absolutely real. Yeah, exactly. What what they do keep separate is the names, but who's included on this? Like it was, you know, like you have your like your Duponts and uh, you know your your Rockefellers, your big names. But one person that uh, a book that came out in two thousand and seven linked uh, Prescott Bush as part of this group. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. <laughs> yeah. And when the committee released its final report, editorials uh, remained skeptical. Um, the, you know, New York Times was still kind of talking shit. But at one point, they said that the, the, the New York Times reported last week, the House Committee on Un-American Activities reported that the two-month investigation had convinced that the General Butler's story of a fascist march on Washington was, quote, alarmingly true. <laughs> yeah. Not Alleged just true. Alarmingly yeah, yeah. true. Uh, the committee also said that definite proof had been, these are quotes, like definite proof had been found at the much publicized fascist march on Washington, which was to have been led by Major General Smedley D. Butler. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it all got confirmed. Now, later in life, um, kind of what happened, it, it just kind of falls down by the wayside. It picks up, like, I guess, like, um, infamy, like in like pop culture, kind of like in the, like the, the 80s and 90s, people started looking back into things. And writing books about it, but you know, Smedley Butler like didn't uh, didn't live to see like his name kind of cleared or yeah, you know, and yeah, clearly, yeah. He, like the people who were who he named did not suffer any serious consequences. Like yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. They were not. I mean, let alone like obviously, like I said earlier, like the penalty for something like this, generally speaking, is death. Is you know, tri tried with tr for treason at least. And uh, nothing like that ever happened to any of these people because they have all the money. So we can't, can't get rid yeah, of them. Yeah. They're too big to fail. We can't get rid of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I love that how they have like the gun to the head. It's like, yeah, you make things hard for me. I'll make things hard for your whole country. It's like, it's, right. yeah. Um, what ended up happening with like everybody and everybody just walked away from this. That's the wild part. Like McGuire just went on continuing to be the commander of the American Legion in Connecticut. Um, uh, Smedley Butler had a, a pretty good run afterwards. He did a, uh, that's good. He, I'm glad he at least got to do stuff and he wasn't just like a complete disgrace laughing stock, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He, he ended up taking a, um, he ran for the, uh, the U S Senate, in 1932, as a proponent of prohibition, so like, they just he just loved busting speakeasies, yeah. which is just so funny to me because it's just like, like at that point, like nobody liked it. Just like be like an outspoken proponent, you're like, no, right. I like that's what a square. Um, <laughs> I do want to end because he, he ended up making uh, a lot of money. I don't know about a lot of money, but getting a lot of work doing lectures mm -hmm. uh, later in his life. And this is that quote that I talked about. I just kind of want to end on it because it's just it's interesting, you know. Uh, it kind of gives you an idea of to like what this what this guy saw what his understanding of like the real role the military plays in american society and on the global mm -hmm. stage and so this was him um uh that he actually gave this uh to the socialist magazine common sense in 19 in november 1935 mm -hmm. He said, I spent 33 years and four months in active military service. And during that period, I spent most of my time as a high-class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. I helped make Mexico, especially Tampico, safe for American oil interests in 1914. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues. I helped the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House 
House of Brown Brothers in 1902 to 1912, and I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interest in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. In China in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil went on its way unmolested. Looking back on it, I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was operate his racket in three districts. I did it on three continents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so. that's a pretty clear-eyed uh, explanation of, of the role of the American military. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like, if, you, if we have soldiers listening, like, you know, my parents were in the military. I love them. They're good people. Like, But I, you know, like I remember th- them serving in Bosnia and me as a kid just thinking, like, oh, my, my parents are heroes. And, and, like, and then, like, growing up and meeting people from Eastern Europe just, like, out in, you know, in public and be like, oh, yeah, oh, you're from Bosnia. Oh, my dad, my dad and mom served in Bosnia. And, like... It not always having the best response. You know oh, like? yeah. 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 I mean, it is like, yeah, and absolutely like people, it, it's the problem with the military is not the individual people in the military. Like that is yeah. not, I mean, I, I, it's just like another institution that completely fails everyone it, fa- it it fails the countries that we send those people to it fails the people within the military i mean yeah i hate to end on like a downer note but i i've been thinking about it a lot with the stuff that happened last week at the capitol a lot of those people were ex-military and yeah and i i really feel like the the woman who was shot i mean she was she was ex-military and from what i read about her life it was like she was in two bullshit foreign wars that did nothing and risked her life for this country came home was offered no support had trouble adjusting back into civilian life and found QAnon and just like was so isolated and atomized and then found this community of people and just lost her mind and yeah you know it's everybody there's obviously a level of personal accountability here but it's also just like Everybody just gets fucked over by the military. Is my yeah, point, yeah, I guess. Like, yeah, man. Well, I remember like growing up, growing up on military bases, and just like, I, I mean, again, like, it's like I don't want to like knock the, the people that are in it because so many people who join the military do it like because it's like what that's my only option to get sure. out of you know where I'm at. I gotta and get like, an so, education, or I gotta pay my student loans, or you yeah. know, it's th- th- most of the people who get into the military are not getting into it because they're like, I would love to murder brown people. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a small percentage, and they yeah, really yeah, encourage. Yeah, yeah. That behavior once you get in there. Yeah, like, like I remember, like when I was like, uh, you know, just seeing like the, the toll like deployments take on families, like yeah. like so many like so many marriages falling apart, and like is people getting divorces, and like parents like being estranged from their kids and getting back, and then you look at like what they were going over there to do, and you look at what did it get, what what did it get us, what did it establish, what did it help, and it's like, you know, nothing. It's like you know, I. I I'd never want to sound like I'm like disparaging like the actual individual service members in the U.S. military, right. but like, I mean, I, I was never in, but I was around that world, and like, there's a lot of bleak shit that just like reverberates off of every movement the mil- the Ar- U.S. Army makes. I mean, it's fueled by like what, like a hundred trillion dollars? Like, it, like, right. it, like every movement like- make just reverberates outward. Right, like those people. It's it's a grist mill that just chews people up and spits them out and makes black water and like military contractors and stuff tons and tons of money that's what it's for it's to make people tons and tons of money that's like (laughs) why anything in america exists and uh, yeah yeah, it's fucking bleak and it's especially frustrating and cynical when people like the rich guys in the 30s and like the far right today try to co-opt the difficulty of those people's lives to their ideological ends. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's that's very frustrating. Like 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 because like, I had like Christmas card like not a Christmas card but like but, like Hallmark movie moments like with my parents' deployments. Like my dad went to Desert Storm on Christmas Day. Like we had oh. to like we yeah we woke up we opened presents and we drove to his unit. And they all got on a bus and fucking you know took off and like every kid in the crowd is crying. Every wife yeah. is yeah. It, it's like they're leaving on Christmas and it's like you know like 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 I mean I guess that was Desert Storm I and mean, I guess like you know. No, that wasn't a good worry. I don't know, man. Like, it's just, no, it's but crazy. It, but we- of course, of course, in order to justify 
taking your family member away from you on Christmas. They have to sell it to you as this yeah. is heroic. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not and it's not up to the individual person to decide whether that's an ethical war or not. You're yeah. in you're in the employ of the U.S. military. You have to do it like. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and they and then, and then like, you know, the, the just getting to the idea of like like further recruits, they they mine heavily from the working class. Like it's like people Absolutely. who. Yeah, and it's like, you know, like, I mean, there's been a million songs written about it, but it's, you know, like, why, like, you know, these, these rich men making these decisions and these poor kids going to go die for those decisions. And, like, it's nothing new or profound, but it just, the shit sucks, man. <laughs> like, that's, it for lack of a better and like, term. And, and, so, and not only does the government do it, it's like, now these rich people try to do it for their own political ends like yeah this, yeah the, the the these guys trying to get the troops behind them because they know the troops are going to be a, a smokescreen for their actual agenda yeah it's the same shit that's been going on forever and it's yeah very it, it, what, what were they using as the incentive that money the, the the life-changing amount of money that you need you know saying like like right like we're gonna guarantee that 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 you get that and it's still valuable and it's still helpful like again like you know like I'm sure you'd have some of those guys that were like, "Hell, I'll just march for the fun of it." I like I hate FDR or whatever. But so many people here, like, oh, if I rally behind this cause, I can get that that payout right. that's like gonna change my life and my children's lives. This payout that these guys make like once per business quarter. Right. You know, if like, you really gave a shit about the troops, you would give them the money. Like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just give them. Yeah, just give them. The you want money. fascism? Yeah. You don't care yeah. whether the troops get money. You want to? You want fascism? That's what you want. Yeah, yeah man. That's uh. As well, uh, if, you, if you're just, this is your first time listening to this episode, normally we end it by asking, was the scam worth it? I don't know if that applies here. I um, don't think a fascist coup is worth it. Never, never worth it, never worth it. I will say it is worth it if you're, if you got a little smedley butler in you and you're gonna, you know, yeah. like step up to the plate, that's worth it. You know, like, so you know what, hey, smedley, I'm putting him in the good guys club. I don't know if anybody disagrees with that, but like, he tried. I and like, you so. know, he, I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't love that he was busting speakeasies personally, but I'll, yeah. I'll be willing to overlook it for resisting fascism. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I guess like, I, in retrospect, because I wasn't there getting my speakeasy busted, it's kind of funny, like, just thinking, <laughs> like, I just think of like Rex Bannon from the Simpsons, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just a lovable authoritative authoritative beer baron guy anyways <laughs> well man that's uh yeah that's the story of the business plot look it up there's a whole other side story that i i, I couldn't even get into about like w what reasons the co the committee may have had to suppress that and it actually gets into like crazy like um like like jewish socialist movements in, in the 1930s mm. it's it's pretty interesting stuff so give give that a read if you'd like um other than that guys we do one free episode a month here on live sheet and steel and we also do two episodes a month on our patreon that's patreon.com slash live sheet and steel you can sign up there uh you know uh five bucks a month two free episodes we've got a great back catalog you should come on and check it out um other than that we normally would tell you where we're going to be found at performing live comedy, but that doesn't exist. So <laughs> yeah, I will be in Dripping Springs, Texas on the 23rd performing at an outdoor amphitheater for the launch of a dating app where the whole hook of the dating app is that uh, the people have to go on the date. I don't know how it works. <laughs> That's really funny. I like Maybe that. I shouldn't be talking shit. I think it's called like the round or whatever. And it's like the whole sure. thing. It's like gu guaranteed meetups. And I'm like, how do they do that? It's like, <laughs> So anyways, yeah, I'm going to be there promoting this potentially problematic <laughs> fucking dating app <laughs> by doing their launch party uh, comedy outside in Dripping Springs, Texas. That'll be on the 23rd of January. And then other than that, I'll just be biting my nails waiting to get back to this. Yeah, um, I don't really have anything to plug. I have another podcast called What a Time to Be Alive, which is a weekly comedy podcast about uh, dumb news stories every week. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Check that out. Um, we may have a few t-shirts left by the time this comes out thank you to everybody who has ordered a t-shirt i'm yeah thank looking, you guys very much i'm looking at the box of t-shirts right now uh they look beautiful i'm very excited to send them out to everybody uh in the coming few days um yeah that i think is all we have to plug um thank you so much for listening and uh we'll see you next time yeah guys thanks for tuning in uh be safe out there and uh above all don't get caught don't get caught. Bye. Bye.